0: And well, I was told that we were here to recount when we have seen God at work, either in our lives or in the life of people around us. And for me, the last 40 years or so have been concentrated and very much around this church. And I dug out, from a drawer I have got, an old book here called Milford Baptist Church Comes of Age, which was written uh, in, presumably, 21 years after the church began. Uh, And it's very interesting. So when we came here, we moved into this church to worship. The same church came here in 1902, I believe. This is not part of the service, but just for interest's sake. You must have wondered once some occasionally why there's a road in Milford called Chapel Lane, which has a got doctors and a dentist and a, all sorts, but no chapel. That ch- chapel moved here in 1902, and it was a, rec- a church here in 1902 and onwards. So when we, Baptist Church, came here in 1981, as we know about, uh, then we worshipped here. But what about the rest? Right, round the back there was an old uh, hut. Now, I I was doubted whether I could speak freely indeed, but I would say everything is written down here. When Milford Baptist Church began in October 1981, we worshipped in this church. All the other activities of the church, friendship club, toddlers, children's groups, took place in a corrugated hut, which is rather decrepit out the back. Now I come to reading from this little booklet. In the minutes of a church management committee, held on October the 14th, 1986, it's reported that, quote, John Withers pointed out the need for decision on the long-term building situation in order that the sensible decisions be made on short-term maintenance and improvements. The heart which had served as a church building from 1872 to 1902, and a Sunday school hall from then on, was coming to the end of its life. A survey revealed that it wasn't really safe for groups to be using it, and that it would cost a lot of large sum of money to make it safe, or extending, extending its useful... and that would only extend its useful life for about four years. Five years, sorry. Much thought, prayer and discussion led to the decision that all the buildings other than the church sanctuary itself should be demolished and that as large a suite of buildings as the land would take should be built. It was thought that the cost of the buildings would be about £12,000. No, (laughs) £120,000. Although, in fact, the final cost was £135,000 and the elders had agreed that the sign of God's approval on the project should be that there were £60,000 in the bank before the project began. That figure was raised, remarkably, another answer to God's prayer. At a church meeting held in August 1989, the decision was made to go ahead. Planning permission was applied for and granted and George Hayes bless him arranged for an architect and got our estimates but how could the work of the church continue although the sanctuary was to remain it would be impossible to use it while the building work was going on the village hall so we had various ways of dealing with that the village hall was hired for sunday morning worship and a right performance it was getting the village hall right on a Sunday morning for uh, worship. The village hall was hired for Sunday morning worship, and the vicar kindly allowed us to use the parish church for evening services which we held in those days. The sky sky, hut down the road, kindly let it out to Friendship Club, so that that continued, but there were still toddlers and the youth groups with nowhere to go. In Oxted Green, there was a building exactly suited to what we needed. It belonged to Rodber School, but was no longer in use. It used to be called the Civil Defence Building when I first came to Milford. <laughs> it came to light that Surrey County Council was intending to demolish the building and to build the harbour, a safe centre for adults with learning difficulties. However, these plans were delayed and a lease on the building. We put in for a lease and got a lease on the buildings from July the 1st, 1989, and uh, ending in December the 31st, uh, 1990. But we got that extended to February the 28th, 1990. And that was exactly the period that we required. Another astonishing... If you play, I heard this once, if you play, coincidences happen. (laughs) Um, Initially 31st, but extended to February 8th, 1990, exactly the period required. A leaflet was prepared entitled Is Going Places, listing all the venues for the different meetings and organisations. The demolition of the old building began at the end of August 1989, the various venues proved satisfactory, or in the case of Oxted Green building, of excellent, though getting the village hall ready every Sunday morning was hard work. The timber frame construction of the building at the back was erected under the watchful eye sorry, the timber frame construction of the new buildings was erected under the watchful eye of George Hayes, and on March third, nineteen ninety, Alice Elson, who'd attended church in, in, in Melford here ever since um, 1920 and she came and marched and turned the key. The congregation, we marched in singing make way for way, make way for Christ the King. <laughs> Reverend Charles Campbell, who had been minister at Godalming Baptist, came and uh, was living in Wales then and he led the service of dedication. Then followed a hectic month of cleaning, tidying, and painting under the leadership of Bob Black. Another answer to prayer was Bob Black. Bob Black was the foreman of a building firm. And um, he knew his stuff. And he he liked to see people busy when he was in charge. (laughs) I remember saying to him once, "Come!" he was nagging somebody a bit. I said, come on, Bob. Rome wasn't built in a a day, and he said that's because I wasn't the fair foreman. Um, Uh Soon after the buildings, Bob Black went with Millie and Douglas for a short break at Spring Harvest, and on his return he had a heart attack and was suddenly taken to be with the Lord he had so faithfully served. His mission accomplished. There was talk of putting up a plaque to commemorate Bob's work, but many would have none of it. His memorial is those buildings and the whole thing that we are in now. So in those ways, I saw God at work and live, and we've moved on from there. Praise the Lord.
1: Thank
2: you, John. Oh, it's been a long time since I've been up here. Um, right. Thought of another thing as well I could add, but John's already stolen my punchline, so uh, I might just have to repeat it. Uh, um, John, apart from that, what uh, what year did the first trip to MFA go out? The one I was on. Well, David, do you know when? The f- I
3: guess it's was two thousand one or two thousand and two.
2: So 20 years ago, which seems incredible. Well, I was lucky enough to be able to go out on the, uh, the very first um, um, work party out there. And um, it was organised brilliantly by the counters, as they did everything brilliantly. Um, we met at Gatwick Airport uh, to get our British Airways flight to Lusaka, which uh, I gather doesn't go there anymore. You have to go via Nairobi now, I believe. Um, anyway, um, we had brought so much gear um, in terms of things that we would need for the afternoon work every day, uh, working with uh, street children and uh, local schools and that sort of thing. <coughs> we, um, we had a lot of... Uh, colouring pencils. I would managed to scrounge a lot from my school, uh, a lot of equipment and uh, books and so on. And uh, we had far too much for our luggage allowance uh, on the plane. Um, we were all scratching our heads there, what are we going to do about it? And then this chap appeared from British Airways, who uh, seemed to be of faith, and he, he said, don't worry, he said, I'll, I'll get it sorted. And uh, that was the first... God moment of many uh, during our MFA um, three weeks out there. Um, We had no trouble getting all our excess luggage on with no extra costs, and it all could say it flew. uh, So uh, anyway, we 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 then did our huge drive from Lusaka up to Ndola, and I seem to remember we couldn't quite fit everything into the trucks. And I think somebody, uh, uh, we have came across a uh, young lady at the airport who happened to be heading with an empty truck to Ndola. And um, I just remembered that. I've totally forgotten that, I've totally forgotten that. So I think that's God moment, at least number two, if not more than two. Anyway, that's my bit about Ndola. Um, the other bit I could mention um, is um, <clears throat> when I retired, um, which was 12, 13 years ago. Um, I decided to. Um, I decided to. What did I decide to do? Now? I did, yes. I decided to be a supply teacher, which was a dreadful mistake. All, all that happened when I went into Steward Day's Supply was it reminded me why I didn't want to be a teacher anymore. <laughs> So I gave up on that and said, I know what I'm sort of vaguely alright at. I can do a bit of technical support. And as my headmaster once said to me, you really like helping people, don't you, Ian? And I said, yes, more than teaching children. <laughs> but um, Actually, that's not true. But um, I... Um, uh, oh, I've got another senior moment now. Oh, no, you don't know what I'm thinking, do you? Uh, no. Um, oh, yes, I decided... That even though I wasn't very technical, I'd do technical support um, in, in a school and, uh, and God took me to St Thomas of Canterbury School in Guildford, fabulous school of faith, and um, I think I was quite well received there. I think the fact that I had taught gave me a big plus. I actually um, understood what the teachers were going through, so I really... You know, worked hard for them, and um, I, I uh, used to pray regularly. If I couldn't work out the area, the the the, um, the fix that was needed, I would pray about it. And then all of a sudden, a fix or a way forward or someone to ask would pop into my head, and I thought, well, that's a God moment. Um, and just as John said. Um, somebody once said to me the more you pray, it's strange, the, the more you pray the more coincidences happen, which is, uh, yes we mustn't belittle them by saying they're just coincidences, they're not. And my brother-in-law has talked a lot about, he's not very well at the moment, has talked a lot about God moments happening to him. He's come back to faith after 30 oh, odd years. Yeah, something like that. So he's, uh, he's experiencing lots of God moments. So that's wonderful, yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Yeah, so a couple of uh, sort of God incidences are happening even this morning. So this time last week, we had one person who said that uh, she would come up and speak. Um, when we started this morning we had seven people saying they want to speak and we've gone up to nine we've gone up to nine because ian said this morning i'd like to say something and david said he'd like to, to, to say something so let me just have a quick let's have a reading let's have a reading so um called out samuel 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 answered yes i'm here Then he ran to Eli saying, I heard you call, here I am. Eli said, I didn't call you, go back to bed. And so he did. God called again, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli. (sighs) I heard you call, here I am. Again Eli said, son, I didn't call you, go back to bed. This all happened before Samuel knew God for himself. It was before the revelation of God had been given to him personally. God called again, Samuel, the third time. Yet again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Yes, I heard you call me. Here I am. And that's when it dawned on Eli that God was calling the boy. So Eli directed Samuel, go back and lie down. If the voice calls again, say, Speak, God, I'm your servant, ready to listen. Samuel returned to his bed. Then God came and stood before him exactly as before, calling out, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel answered, Speak, I'm your servant, ready to listen. So what we're going to do in our groups, you can stay in the tables um, with the people on the tables um, where you're sitting at the moment. We're going to pray just very quickly for ourselves to hear God's calling so that we know when he wants us to be doing his work. So we'll just do that for a minute or so. Just pray in your small groups. Thank you.
3: Ian talked earlier about Mechanics for Africa. I thought I ought to use an opportunity, it is an opportunity to give you a quick update about Mechanics for Africa, 20 years on. Uh, Yesterday was a graduation day, a delayed graduation day, because there have been all sorts of disruptions in NDOLA, largely as a result of uh, COVID, changes to examination dates, so on and so forth. And uh, one of the Uh, UK trustees Paul Cannings, I don't know, I think a number of you know Paul, uh, went out to Ndola and is there now and uh, represented all of us in the UK uh, as guest of honour. Um, And uh, I received, I asked for a little transcript of what he said. And I'd just like to share that with you now. I promise you, Lynn, it won't be more than 45 seconds. He says, I I think MFA has given you as students more than a qualification. MFA is a Christian college so as well as teaching motor mechanics it, we also teach self-discipline, kindness, fairness, honesty and integrity. And Paul went on to say that I hope that whatever you do next with your motor mechanic skills and qualifications, that you also remember these Christian values which are key to a uh, fulfilling uh, life. And he went on to talk about feedback we've had from uh, local employers about the suitability of our uh, uh, graduates for the work that they want done. And then this morning I had a lovely message from me- message from Guineary, which I've uh, put on the uh, NBC family WhatsApp I know as some of you have seen it but to share it with all of you Guineary says I don't think I have words to describe uh, the uh, ceremony uh, uh, yesterday but I can tell you it was a beautiful affirmation of MFA It was just amazing, full of joy is probably the best I can do to try to explain it. and you know our students come from backgrounds of absolutely grinding prov- poverty and what you do in supporting students really really does transform not just their lives not just their own lives but the lives of the families of which they're part so thank you all very much Thanks.
1: Yeah, a few weeks ago, we had um, Jen from Compassion come and give us a presentation. And the, sort of, um, the theme of her talk was the ripple effect of um, how um, the, the children and families are helped in various parts of the world. And it definitely happens with MFA, the ripple effect of um, supporting students. Right, so if you'd like to stand or sit, we're going to sing Endless Hallelujah.
4: since I've been here. One thing I want to start with that John reminded me on, we spoke about this church, and I'm thinking of the church before we came here, and a nice thing for me, I grew up in the Anglican church. This church was United Reformed, but I had a grandfather, I never knew him, But he was a lay preacher here. And some, although I think Rose is the only one now, remembers him. So the church has changed denomination. I have. But I worship in the building where my grandfather preached. And I think that's rather nice. But that's an aside. The main thing, well, two things I want to say now, and that's Ian's fault. One of them, most of you know, I've got a mobility scooter. I've never driven a motorised vehicle, and I have to say I was apprehensive and I was nervous. But the arrow prayers that went up were incredible. Prayers to get out of the scooter room, prayers to get round the railings, and prayers to cross the road. Brian said to me last week, was I more confident? I don't know that I am in me, but I am in those prayers and that the Lord will see me over. Often I have to cross the church road there. I go up to the roundabout, Brethren Islands. I've got four lanes of traffic to cross. I only had to wait at one this morning for a gap. And I see that as an answer to prayer as well. Ian spoke of a God incident. So I had a major one. Years ago, I was in way of the lieutenant's panel. We were invited to a garden party. But in England, it rained. So we went into the hall of Trevor's house. Now you could hardly move in that hall. I'd been in hospital recently and there'd been a lady there who was, I think, terminally ill and very frightened. She cried a lot. When they wanted her to go home, she didn't feel ready. Well, I had a lot of visitors, sometimes twice a day from church. She had, I think, one lot during my stay. And talking to her, she did belong to a church. And I felt almost angry at that church that they weren't there for her. At this indoor garden party, I only spoke to two people outside those I knew. And you know, those people came from her church. She used to go to her, to their home group. All I could say was, I'd met her and how frightened and alone she was and leave it with the Lord. But it seems incredible that the only ones I spoke to were from her church and I think that was an incredible God incident. And I pray that they acted on that for her sake. Thank you. And I should go home on my scooter <laughs> in one piece.
5: Hello. I've sort of entitled this like God at work and good news spreads fast and God news spreads faster and further than anything else, I think. Um, But it's not always that obvious. In 2013, Jamie Cutteridge and I took a small group of youths to join nearly 70 others with Urban Saints to South Africa on a mission build in Botling, a township outside Johannesburg. We built three simple houses during our time there and it was a fantastic experience and BA let us take extra suitcases as well for all our craft and stuff that we did. So that reminded me of that. Um, Each day more and more passers-by came to have a look at what all the white people were doing in their township. We often chatted with them and explained our presence. was a well respected neighbour to the house we were building and she made sure the word was out that God had brought these white people to do his work. We did a kids club at the nearby nursery school and on the first day 40 kids came along and by day five 300 kids turned up. So we played games, did craft, told Bible stories and sang songs and did the craft and all the stuff that we'd bought in the um, suitcases. And it was a riot. Good news, but especially God news, travels fast. Each day we prayed that God would impact the township folk. From what I saw and experienced, God honoured that prayer. Praise the Lord. When I came home, I felt led to be a part of reaching out to strangers and the vulnerable. When Amanda Bentley, now sadly departed, spoke to um, NBC about Street Angels in Guildford and I'd never heard of Street Angels. I knew this was for me. So in August 2014, I joined the team and have been on duty once a month, Friday or Saturday since then. Now, it's one thing for a Street Angel to help someone in need, but we often, very often, Find members of the public assisting complete strangers during their night out. and this is love at work. Then this is God at work. Guildford on a Saturday night, Sunday morning, can be a chaotic place to be, but there, in amongst it, peace and calm can still be apparent. Our jackets with the SA Street Angels logo are are a beacon to those in need. And it's not unusual for the homeless to ask us to pray for them, which we gladly do. Now, God uses these tumultuous times to step in and be there in that small, still voice. Some folk find it difficult to understand why we do it, especially when they know it's voluntary. At the beginning of each evening, at the end of each evening, um, we pray that we'll encounter people we need to and that those we encou- have encountered have also encountered God. We trust that he'll move in their life. In a duty report a few weeks ago, it said that a homeless guy had given his life to the Lord as a result of prayers with street angels. <laughs> a third or fourth, I want to tell you a little bit about Spring Harvest trip. The speaker there said he'd heard the commitment comment several times that people felt God's presence was stronger and and very much easily felt there. He explained that of course it was. And that was certainly due to the fact that, that we were learning, singing and focusing on God morning, noon and night for five solid days. Why wouldn't God be there? God is always with us, but we're not always looking at him. But Spring Harvest facilitates that. Several of our group had their faith strengthened and one of our group made the decision to be a Christian. Thank you. That's what you should all have done. God constantly works and moves within our lives but these moments of intense exposure to his love have arguably the biggest impact. So God was at work at Spring Harvest. And finally, I'm going to tell you about my friend Jane. She was an unsettled, angry type of person and not happy at all in her own skin. I often shared with her how knowing Jesus helped me to not be so hard on myself. Life isn't a rehearsal. She was quite open in her cynicism at how Jesus could make all the difference to her outlook outlook on life. Anyway, around 18 months ago she told me she'd become a Christian. I was shocked. (laughs) Christian friends of hers, who also live in Skye, had been telling her about their walk with Jesus. Apparently many things coincided with what I had been saying, so she had decided to go to church and attended a few home meetings. She opened her door to him and he filled her life. She's more peaceful and fulfilled than I've ever seen her. Me and her friends had no idea of each other's input. Why should we? God knows what his plans are. Take encouragement that even though we might not realise it, we are God's hands. Give me a shake of your hands. On earth. Jane and I still chat about our usual er earthly fears, etc. Oh, was that the hand waving that knocked him (laughs) over? But also about our walk with Jesus along with all the stumbling, stumbling, and questions we encounter along the way. Thank you. work to this very day and I too am working for this reason they tried all the more to kill him not only was he grateful the Sabbath but it was even God
1: calling God's own father making himself equal with God thank you so in our
6: a- cope with technology this morning which is always interesting <laughs> I'm going to talk a little bit this morning about the charity called Samaritan's Purse, but uh, more of that in a minute. Is it the right-hand one? I've got to click. That one. So this is a picture of Alexander and his wife Marina. A few months ago they were living normal, peaceful lives until the Russian army started shelling and firing missiles at their hometown in Ukraine. They were forced to hide in the basement for weeks without basic resources and they struggled to stay alive. I guess there's many, many stories like that that you'll hear from Ukraine and, and some even more tragic. And it was particularly difficult for Alexander as he's fighting stage four cancer. Eventually, after the shelling of missiles had stopped, a local church partner that works with the charity called Samaritan's Purse were able to care for them and share the gospel with them and provide them with safety, shelter and basic food, hygiene and medical supplies. Marina said, I don't know what we would have done without them. Psalm 34 verse 8 says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man, woman, child or young person who takes refuge in Him? So the charity Samaritan's Purse was set up after World War II by a, a man called Bob Pierce. Um, he was an American, he, American evangelist and a journalist for the organisation Youth for Christ. And it was whilst on a university lecturing circuit in China that he stumbled across some courageous women who were living among lepers and orphans and who were sacrificing everything to share the love of Jesus Christ. And it was through their selfless love that God gave Bob Pierce a vision for ministry. And so he dedicated himself to finding and supporting other such Christians who were caring for the poor and suffering in the distant corners of the world. Now we all know the bible story of the good Samaritan Well, Samaritan's Purse travels the world looking for places where people are suffering and helping victims along the way. The work is often dangerous, as it was for the Samaritan, but the message they carry is important. They are quick to bandage the wounds, just like the good Samaritan. But the Samaritan didn't stop there, neither does Samaritan's Purse. In addition to meeting their immediate emergency needs, they help victims recover and get back onto their feet and no matter where they go or what they do they offer more than just help they offer hope offer hope to suffering people in a broken world they share the love of the only one who can bring true peace jesus christ the prince of peace samaritan's purse was launched in the uk by dr billy graham in 1990 following his visit to Scotland. And after just 12 months, Samaritan's Purse UK had a support base of over 4,000 people from a cross-section of individual Christians and churches in the UK. Franklin Graham, one of the sons of Dr Billy Graham, is now the president of Samaritan's Purse. And as an aside, um, I just looked up on Google, because he's done this campaign recently, Franklin Graham, where he's been speaking in a number of towns across the UK. I think over 10,000 people attended his uh, rallies, and at least 700 people have given their lives to Christ. So, praise God. Now, many of you will know um, about Operation Christmas Child and the Christmas Shoebox Appeals. And that was originally a charity that started in this country, and it's based in Wrexham. And it was in 1993 that Operation Christmas Child merged with Samaritan's Purse. And since then, the organisation has gone from strength to strength, starting new development initiatives in Africa, Central Asia, as well as being part of the Global Samaritan's Purse response to humanitarian disasters such as the Dafur crisis, the South Asian tsunami, the Pakistan earthquake, the Myanmar cyclone, the China earthquake, Typhoon Haiwan in the Philippines, and water relief to those suffering in Yemen. I could go on and on, but the list is too long to mention every situation where they're working to bring relief. But Samaritan's Purse, where possible, works through local churches as God's chosen instrument to bring lasting hope to people in impoverished circumstances or communities around the world. They're committed to seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ shared in the form of both words that can change spiritual circumstances and also acts of mercy that can change physical circumstances. We live in what at times feels like a godless world, but God is at work through the vision of staff, volunteers, and all the people who donate money to charities like Samaritan's Purse. And they've recently started a new initiative um, called The Greatest Journey Discipleship Challenge and it's through donations they receive that they plan to give boys and girls overseas the opportunity to learn about Jesus and experience the life-changing truth of the Gospel. They've planned a 12-lesson Bible discovery course designed for recipients of Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. And they provide a child, each child has a workbook, a Bible uh, written in their own language If they complete the course, they get a graduation certificate. And they have a trained teacher who will share the good news with them throughout the classes. And hopefully, there is one graduation class. I love the way they've even got their graduation gowns and mortarboards, even for the tiny tots you can see in that picture. It's uh, quite incredible. And there's another group there. Le plus grand voyage, I think it says on their books. and there's another one there. I'm not sure what language that is. but <laughs> So, praise God that over 15 million children in more than 100 countries made decisions for Jesus Christ through this programme. That's incredible. 15 million children have made decisions for Jesus Christ through this programme. And recently in Mexico, a mother said that her 12-year-old son experienced the love of God in his life through the greatest journey, discipleship programme. She said... I'm thankful that the discipleship programs helped change my son's life. I've seen such a change in him that he now enjoys singing to God at all times. There are children like Agnes who had such a strained relationship with her mother that she was planning to run away from home. But her life was transformed as she uh, attended the Greatest Journey program and she learned to receive God's love and to love others and to forgive her mother. We all need to remember Christ's command. Let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of God. Now, this last picture shows some of the UK volunteers helping to pack hygiene kits for people and families displaced or trapped by conflict in the Ukraine. And Samaritan's Purse apparently is the largest responder in the Ukraine. They've already sent um, well over 8,000 kits and another 16,000 are shortly to be sent to those suffering people. And each kit contains a drawstring bag filled with items such as soap, toothbrush, comb, razor, toilet paper, shampoo, washcloths, uh, feminine hygiene items, other essentials. It doesn't sound much, does it? But it's those basic things of life where those people need. And they help meet a practical and emotional needs, restoring some degree of normality and dignity to a suffering people. And every kit is a chance to show someone that they are loved, and that the Lord has not forgotten them in their time of need. Psalm 147 says, "He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds." He heals the brokenhearted, and binds up their wounds and at the end of the story of the good Samaritan Jesus commands us he says go and do likewise God is at work in our lives in our local community but he still needs as Lorraine pointed out our hands our time our talents our money our commitment our prayers and our willingness to cross the road to help So let's continue to spread the good news of the Gospel, share in practical ways the love of God to all those around us. Don't pass by on the other side. Go and do likewise. I thought perhaps we could just have a short word of prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have so much and yet we give so little. We sometimes wonder and question ourselves as we look around this hurting world as to whether you are truly at work. And then, Lord, we hear and witness these stories we've heard this morning, showing us that you are always in control, even in difficult circumstances. You never, never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for organisations like Samaritan's Person for their vision, for their staff and volunteers all over the world who risk their lives bringing hope and love to those suffering and in great and urgent need. We thank you for touching the hearts of those who donate money and Lord, we pray that you will touch our own hearts today, to be willing to cross the road to help those in need, to give more of our time more of our talents, more of our money, more of our commitment, and more of our prayers. Father, forgive us for our poor efforts at serving you. Your beloved Son gave his life for us, so we pray that you will help each of us this morning to rededicate our lives to serving you in a way, any way we can. Lord, we pray that you will give us the opportunities Give us a real desire to bring the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring joy and hope to those hurting, suffering or walking in darkness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hopefully I haven't taken any of your papers. <laughs>
1: Thank you, and I'd like to introduce you to Penny and Rowan, who are gonna be our final speakers today.
7: Good morning, this is our first time up here. I'm Penny and this is Rowan. And We'd just like to speak about two God moments that we experienced on two holidays recently. So I'll start first. Uh, last November, Rowan and I decided to go on a short break to the Cotswolds to celebrate my 50th birthday. We visited Boughton-on-the-Water that I'd wanted to do for many years um, and I was so happy that I was able to do it on that day and then drove to Stow on the Wold to have a birthday drink in the Porch House, which claims to be the oldest pub in England. We parked in the central square and as we walked to the pub, we passed several tea rooms. They were beginning to close, so we agreed to return the next day. The following morning, we visited the quaint village of Bybury, which some say is the prettiest village in England. We went inside the old parish church and said a prayer of guidance and protection during the holiday. We sensed such peace. We also visited the stunning St John's Church in Burford. Then we returned to Stow on the Wold, and we parked in the square and decided on a tea room. It was a bit busy, so Rowan grabbed a table while I queued up to place our order. Whilst waiting, I started to feel a restlessness, not impatient or out of concern about the amount of people in there with with, with regards to COVID, but I couldn't explain it. But the restlessness and agitation just increased as I got nearer and nearer to the front of the queue. I tried to dismiss it, but in the end, I just had to leave, even though I was the next person to be served. So I found Rowan, apologised, as it was very much out of character, but I needed to find somewhere else to go. I googled tea rooms in Stowe on the Wold on my phone and the first one to pop up was called the Old Bakery. It was a two minute walk the other side of the square and it said five stars, best scones in the Cotswolds. So we went to the other side of the square. We saw a sign pointing down an alleyway towards this little courtyard. We entered this small tea room and instantly felt a warmth. There was music playing softly in the background and then a man cheerily showed us to a table. As we started to look at the menu, I heard a new song start and instantly recognised it. I said to Rowan, listen, they're playing a worship song. Then we noticed at the bottom of the first page of the menu, there was a Bible verse, Hebrews 13 verse two. Do not forget to entertain strangers for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. On each table, we saw a plastic menu holder with the owners Alan and Jackie's testimony of how they became Christians through Alpha in 1999 and suffered a great tragedy when their youngest son took his own life in 2004 at the age of 16. We felt truly overwhelmed that God had led us to this dear couple where we would rather spend our money and support their business. And it was true, the scones were simply the best I'd ever tasted. <laughs> after we had eaten, we mentioned how their testimony had touched us. We chatted for some time, long after they closed. Jackie joined us from the kitchen. They attended a nearby Baptist church where Alan was the worship leader, and they both were heavily involved in Alpha and would recommend Alpha courses to any customers who were struggling. But they emphasized they are not a Christian tea room, but a tea room that happens to be run by Christians. We spoke of Spring Harvest and they mentioned their close friendship with Jonathan Vera, the opera singer. Some of you might remember, Lynn played a clip of Jonathan singing at the Mother in Sunday service. Often when performing, he would invite Ellen and Jackie along to give their testimony. We felt so totally uplifted when we left. We promised we would come back and keep them in our prayers. The day after we returned from our break away, a dear friend of mine uh, popped round to drop something off to me, her name is Sally Pollard. Some of you might know her, she's the pastoral assistant of Godhaming Baptist Church. So anyway, I eagerly told her of what happened in Stow the Wold. She looked at me and said, Alan and Jackie Slough, I know them. They were meant to give their testimony at Godhaming Baptist Church but had to cancel due to COVID in 2020. Jackie has written a book about their story and it's currently in the church library. And dear Sally posted it through my door the very next day. And it is called Losing Tom and Finding Grace. I've got it here, so if anybody's interested, it's an amazing book. Anyway, this made me very emotional. And strangely, several months later, in April, one Saturday morning, I was sitting at my desk at work and who walks in, Jonathan Vieira. I didn't know he lived locally. Uh, I managed to grab him before he left and I mentioned meeting Alan, Alan and Jackie. He said they were two very special friends of him and his wife and that he was seeing them over the coming weeks so he would make sure he would pass on our regards. I even got a cheeky selfie with Jonathan, which I can show you after the service if you're interested. Um, It's truly amazing to think what unravelled following my restlessness in that queue. But it's reaffirmed, when you pray for direction, don't be surprised when God answers. And for us on this occasion, only a few short hours after we prayed it. I saw Sally Friday, and she said she's planning on rebooking Alan and Jackie to speak. Rowan and I will certainly be the first to put our names down to go to that event.
8: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hello, everybody. Um, Whilst recently on holiday in South Wales in Tenby, to keep a promise to my gran and celebrate what would have been her 100th birthday, Penny and I discovered a remarkable little chapel that is doing amazing work for God's kingdom. On our last evening, after having a lovely meal, we decided to explore the lanes slightly away from the hustle and bustle of the town. We walked down a residential road called Lower Frog Street and found the old chapel. It was around 9 PM, so we were surprised to see the doors open. As we approached the door, a young man came out and greeted us in the foyer, which contained shelves of free Bibles and books. He told us the chapel was closed, but we were welcome to come in and have a quick look around. What what we saw inside was totally not what we expected. The left-hand side was a dedicated coffee shop and socialising area, with quirky bright coloured furnishings. What a lovely cosy area. The right-hand side contained a bookshop of old and new Christian books at very affordable prices. A lady by the name of Rebecca was asking a cake to sell for the next day. She greeted us warmly and asked if we would like a tour of the chapel. Rebecca and her husband Ian, a minister, have a real heart for those in need. We were shown a food bank, a community fridge, a rail of free coats for anyone who might need them, and we're told that Ian holds a daily 11 a.m. service for anyone wanting to attend and be prayed for. Rebecca also hopes in the future to start cooking classes to teach people how to cook and eat more affordable meals. She also explained how they were linked with the local police and social services who will contact them when assistance is needed. Upstairs in the chapel, we met Ian, who had just finished the midweek Bible study. Ian told us a bit about their story of being missionaries in Africa, who God called back to South Wales. They found the chapel, which was a children's activity centre. He approached the owner to ask to purchase it, but the owner refused. But after four years of rejection, the owner agreed. God continued to provide funds for the purchase and renovations to Ian's specifications. On the wall is a large sign, and it says... If you could ask God one question, what would it be? When I asked Ian about it, he just remarked, great conversation starter. The chapel continues to be a beacon of hope for the Lord's work, providing a place for everyone from the community to fellowship and be part of the family of Christ. Ian and Rebecca Reese can be found on YouTube with Ian telling their story. And it is really, really well worth watching. Very, very encouraging how God uses people. Penny and I feel very blessed that God revealed this place to us. The next day, when I mentioned it to some family members, I was told that my great grandfather used to attend church there in the 1800s. (laughs) Wow! God bless everyone.
1: So we're going to uh, go back into our groups now for uh, prayers of intercession. Uh, Brian uh, mentioned to me this morning when I arrived that um, Denise called to say that her husband Mike has been taken uh, back into hospital uh, with, Brian said, coughing and spluttering. So, we don't know any more information. I don't know if, if you've had anything during the service. So, um, in your prayers, I wonder if you could remember Denise and Mike and family. So, we'll just uh, gather together for um, two or three minutes. Thank you.